0: trigger warning this podcast contains a deep and detailed discussion about suicide and suicidal ideation which some listeners may find distressing or upsetting so please listen with caution. and welcome back to another episode of Treating You presented to you by Barts Health. This is the podcast that gives a voice to our 18,000 staff, shines a light on their day-to-day working lives and show you the public some of their amazing stories and experiences. In this podcast, we chat to the people who keep the trust going and the most inspirational stories from our patients. We discuss how they came to be at Barts Health, their healthcare journey and how they treat you. In this episode of Treating You, I'm speaking to Annika Wahid, who works as a learning and development facilitator in the Education Academy here at Barts Health. Annika also speaks openly online about living with a health condition known as premenstrual dysphoric disorder or PMDD for short. This condition only affects females and is a more severe form of premenstrual syndrome or PMS that many women can experience. Symptoms of PMDD are similar to PMS but are much more intense and can have a much greater negative impact on your daily activities and quality of life. Some of these symptoms can include physical symptoms such as cramps, headaches and joint and muscle pain. They could be behavioural symptoms such as binge eating and problems sleeping and also mental or emotional problems such as feeling very anxious, angry, depressed or in some cases even suicidal. Annika's life has at times been severely impacted by PMDD, she suffered a breakdown just before the COVID-19 lockdown started and has struggled at various points since that moment and before we recorded this podcast. In this episode, we explore how Annika began to experience PMDD symptoms, the taboo that women face who live with it, who it affects, and what factors can lead to someone developing it. We also discuss what initiatives we're doing at the Trust to support women like Annika who are struggling with it, and the work that Annika is doing in that regard. April 2022 is PMDD Awareness Month so after listening to this pod we hope your listeners go away, read up on this health condition and find out how you can do your bit to get involved in raising awareness or perhaps support the women in your life who might have it. So this is how my conversation with Annika Wahid on Living with PMDD went. Annika, welcome to Treating You. Thank you for talking to me today and putting the time aside on this what is it Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday morning. How are you?
1: Yeah, good. Despite the brain fog, I, I've managed to get out of bed and be chatty today. Excellent. What I
0: like to hear, what I like to hear. Annika, before we dive into your lived experience of PMDD, which is what you're going to talk about today, can you just tell me firstly about your kind of journey into BART's health and how you came to being in the role at the Education Academy?
1: So, I have an education background. I was teaching in primary and secondary education for about 10 years, and then working in a secondary school in Brixton gave me plenty of grey hairs. So, I was just like, time to go. And I jumped ship and took a few months to basically reflect on what my next move was going to be. And I happened to come across this position at the Education Academy at Bart's Health back in 2018. I contacted Sandy, my manager, I said, look, I'm from a teaching background, does it matter? And she said, no, absolutely. The the skills are completely transferable. So I applied, was successful, which was absolutely incredible. Having PMDD at that time, but really wasn't too aware of it. However, I officially joined May 2018 and started my journey here. And I felt like I was doing full circle because I'm originally from East London I was actually born at Myland Hospital (laughs) and my sisters were born at the Royal London. Mm. So when I did actually join Barts, I felt like I'd done a full circle and was really excited to join.
0: Yeah, all my siblings and my family, I I always joke that they were born, raised and died at whip. So I'm in the same boat as you are. (laughs) (laughs) We're here to talk about PMDD, Annika. So to give the listeners a picture of what it is, Tell me, I guess, the definition of it and then how it affects maybe physical, mental and sexual health. And also maybe a picture of how many women it affects as opposed to, say, PMS, which is something I I assume that a lot of women do experience.
1: Yeah. So for me to start off with trying to get people to get a true understanding of what PMDD is, so PMDD stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder, I call it PMS's satanic sibling. So it's PMS, but on steroids. And it's so much more different than PMS because it's severely, severely intense. Mm. Essentially, it's a sensitivity to the hormone fluctuations. So your body essentially becomes inflamed, but the inflammation is displayed through your mental health, your emotional health, physically, And it becomes super intense. Now, with PMS, the general person, they'd be recommended, oh, eat a bar of chocolate, have a hot water bottle, take life a little bit easy. And, you know, you might have an argument with your sister or your mom or whatever, right? And then you come on your period and all is well. So it happens for a few days. The difference is with PMDD, it essentially kicks in from the moment you start ovulating. So that's called the luteal phase. So approximately day 14 of your cycle it starts arriving and when it arrives you know about it so the symptoms that I was experiencing was debilitating depression anxiety I couldn't get out of bed extreme rage like uncontrollable unexplainable rage I just didn't know where it came from I used to cry uncontrollably like someone died and now I would say yeah someone did die it was me I felt like I died in that duration because My personality completely changed. So generally, I'm really bubbly and friendly, outgoing, like have a zest for life. But as soon as I would ovulate, I'd completely become a recluse. I didn't want to go out. I was suffering from debilitating anxiety, panic attacks, brain fog. I'd stutter. I I just was a completely different person. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't recognize the person in the mirror. And I didn't have any idea why it was happening to me because... I also have PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And a lot of women who do have that suffer from irregular periods. So essentially, I wasn't ovulating. So it was just literally, my guess is as good as yours, when my period would come. I embarked on the journey to lose weight. So I had weight loss surgery to be able to counteract that because, you know, doctors always told me, you lose weight and it's basically going to cure all your problems. Plot twist, it didn't. (laughs) What it did was regulate my periods. Therefore, I was ovulating. So instead of me celebrating my success of, you know, achieving my goal weight, I entered PMDD and I had absolutely no idea what was going on because it was completely new. I was comparing myself to a teenager because, you know, when teenagers go through a phase when they're entering like adolescence Mm -hmm. and they're starting their hormones all over the place, I was essentially comparing myself to one of them in my 30s because I'd never had regular periods. So, it's completely unexplainable. So, I suspected, I was like, I know it's hormone related because, of course, your hormones are going to be in array when you've been a certain weight for about 20 years of your life and then you've suddenly lost all that weight and your body's adjusting. So, when I was having things like body dysmorphia and I was crying uncontrollably, I was like, oh, yeah, it's probably hormones. But I never put two and two together and thought it was cyclical. And it had to do with my periods. So it took me about a good year to be able to connect the dots and be able to draw the conclusion that, okay, this is something to do with my periods. So a lot of my symptoms basically distracted me from being able to actually know what was going on.
0: You mentioned there that it felt like you died or die when you were in the midst of that PMDD. But as you've gotten older and as you've gotten hopefully better at managing those symptoms, How has that changed? Has it been able to be a sort of phoenix effect where after you come out of it, you feel better or or is it still something you struggle with?
1: The thing is, it's interesting that you mentioned that phoenix reference because I had a nervous breakdown in November 2019. So that was literally as it was building up for years, all the symptoms were getting far more intense so where I would, you know, manage the uncontrollable rage and brain fog and the imposter syndrome and the anxiety and all of that, it was manageable and fairly resilient. So I was like, OK, all right, we're getting somewhere now. And it got to the point where I was starting to self-diagnose and through an algorithm, through all my searches on, on Google. Don't Google it, Alex. Don't Google it. I mean... But the thing is, instead of it telling me I was going to die, it actually pointed me in the direction of PMDD. Right. So it gave me a bit of an angle to pursue my investigations and research further to be like, "Mm, this really sounds like me. This really does sound like me. So although I was having a few aha moments, when I was looking into treatment plans, it said the first port of call was, first of all, take life a bit easy, have a bath and all of that. And I was like, I'm already doing those. (laughs) So what else do I need? But then it said the next stage is taking antidepressants. Now I was like, no way, Jose, that's not me. I don't need it. I've suffered from depression before in my life and I managed to come through and persevere and overcome all of that without antidepressants. I can do it again. Last time it wasn't hormone related. This time it is. So in that case, where I was continuously suffering it I couldn't actually recognize myself, so two weeks of the month, I'm like who I am, me, great, bubbly, myself, thriving at work, doing great when I'm teaching and delivering lectures and training, etc. Then two weeks of the month, I was a horror. Like I feel so sorry for my manager Sandy, who was riding this roller coaster of emotions alongside with me, because I would be sat at my desk crying uncontrollably for no given reason. But they respected me enough to be able to let me feel my feels at my desk. And when I'd be ready, I'd pull myself together and I'd just continue doing what I was doing. But because I had a safe space at work to feel like that, we had a small team at that time. It was really intimate and we are like a family. I felt safe and comfortable enough to be able to be open with all the symptoms that I was going through. But still, I still had no idea I had it. Mm. So my personality would die for two weeks. And then I'd resurrect and come again. But I feel like the real phoenix rising from the ashes truly took an effect as soon as I would have effective treatment that was working for me, only after my nervous breakdowns. So I had one in November 2019. I only took a couple of weeks, to be honest. And I came back to work. Um, I did start taking antidepressants. But the build-up to it was disastrous for me to reach that point in the first place.
0: You spoke there about your boss having to ride this roller coaster with you. So how did you get to a place of self-awareness where you might feel one of those big, uncontrollable, emotive outbursts coming so you could educate other people around you, but you could also sort of educate yourself?
1: I was too busy trying to survive if I'm being honest with you Freddie, because that's all you do, you're literally hanging on by a thread each month. Because the thing is, there were so many months where there, the symptoms are so intense for two weeks, that I was trying to recover from it from after my period. And just as I'm trying to get out of it, i oh, guess what, it's back again. So is it any wonder it led up to a nervous breakdown? But I feel like the crux of when I felt like I couldn't do it anymore, was in the summer of 2019. So it was around August. I went on this incredible trip to the south of France, the French Riviera, for two weeks. And, you know, I was sitting there so excited about, you know, dressing up, going to Saint-Tropez, Nice, you name it. I was doing it all. An incredible trip. But on the day of the flight, while I was at Gatwick Airport, I could feel it. I could literally feel it. I was just like, what the hell? And what that was telling me was that I actually wasn't tracking my cycle. So I wasn't able to prepare for it. So it was looming. And I phoned my sister, who also has PMDD. I phoned her and I was like, I can feel it. She was like, no. I was like, I genuinely, I can feel it. She was like, no, no, you're going to be in the sun. You're going to be in the sun. You're going to be in the south of France. This is going to be amazing. It's going to completely distract you. So I was like, yeah, yeah. Convincing myself, right? No. It was horrific, Freddie. Like, from the moment I landed... I could feel it. It was like taking over my body. I was falling into a trance and there was nothing I could do about it. When it takes over, when your hormones start fluctuating and your body is then responding, all your hormones are responding and reacting to it. It's like an allergic reaction. My serotonin levels were falling. It was impacting my mental health. I had brain fog. My skin was so sensitive to the sun that it felt like I was burning, even though it wasn't that hot. And slowly slowly the suicidal ideation started to appear and i was just like hold on a minute i've never experienced this why do i want to die i'm in the south of france in the sun i was in cannes why am i wanting to die why am i trying to think about wanting to jump off a cliff in saint tropez like what am i doing so for those two weeks i was miserable crying uncontrollably i was just the worst person to be on holiday with but i was traumatized I was so so traumatized by all of the emotions that I was going through it was an absolute roller coaster and when I was at Nice airport on the way back I phoned my sister and I just cried uncontrollably I was like I can't do this anymore like I can't I just I can't carry on like this like I can't want to die all the time and Mm. she said to me you know what just go on that antidepressants, like do what you've got to do. Like it doesn't matter anymore. You've tried so hard for so long. Like just do what you've got to do. And what happened was, shortly before I went on the trip, I went to see a gynecologist because gynecological, yeah. right? <laughs> Cyclical, right? It's got to do with my periods and hormones. So your first of call would be, let me go see the gynecologist. When I did tell the gynecologist, I was like, look, I suspect I have this condition called PMDD. Have you heard of it? And he said, yeah, I have actually. I was like, oh, that's interesting because a lot of vast majority of people haven't. As in when I mean people, I mean gynecologists. And I gave him this whole speech about how I've got it under control. I'm taking CBD lozenges. I'm going to the gym. I'm you know, doing this, I'm doing that. And I don't know who that speech or monologue was for. I don't know who I was trying to convince. I don't know if it was I was trying to convince myself or was I trying to convince the gynecologist. So he said to me, look, we're going to do a bunch of tests unrelated to PMDD this was all to do with my polycystic ovaries and everything like that I just wanted a bit of an MOT for my uterus so he said okay no worries I need you to come back to do tests on x day y day after you come back from the French Riviera and then we'll proceed so I was like okay so when I did come back I openly told him uh yeah so remember that whole speech I gave you about how I had it under control he was like yeah he was like Uh, right, what about it? And I said, well, I don't have it under control. I've wanted to die for the past two weeks. And he said to me, well, I'm afraid that's not my department. That's primary care. Your uterus is absolutely fine. Walked me to the door and waved me goodbye. Wow. And I was like, like, right, okay then. So what do I do now? Mm. So I literally went back to primary care like my gynecologist suggested and when I tried to speak to my GP about it she was like are you really stressed and I was like well yeah I am stressed because I know there's something wrong with my hormones she's like maybe you know your life is a bit stressful for you right now you know it could be that and I was like no I think it's got to do with my hormones so she's like so what do you want and I was like well antidepressants would be a great start so she's like, okay. Gave me my antidepressants and off I went. So although I'd been a little bit more open to taking them, it was a massive mental battle mm. to contend with because there's so much stigma and taboo surrounding taking antidepressants, right? And people who I was previously in my social circle were like, yeah, I don't, I'm not too sure about that. I'm not too sure about that. Like, you should be strong enough to be able to do it, which also deterred me from... Wanting to take it because of you know the stigma. So I was just like, okay, oh, I don't know. So I distanced myself from that circle for a while. So I was just like, I'm not sure. I went to go see my best friend who lives in the Netherlands, who I've known for nearly 20 years, and I took the treatment guidelines with me from the National Association of Premenstrual Syndromes. So where I was doing my research, look, I was aware and I was on my journey of self-diagnosing and knowing that, that something wasn't quite right. Now she said to me, Look. Annika, if you think that these things are going to help you, then you do it. You do what you need to do to be able to survive and manage this condition. So what about stigma and taboo and what society thinks about being on antidepressants? It doesn't matter. And I feel like I just needed that encouragement. Mm. So when I did decide to see my GP and I had that ridiculous conversation with her, I started on citalopram and they say, you know, it gets a lot worse before it gets better. And obviously where I wasn't tracking my cycle, I took it at the worst possible time, which was as I was ovulating. It blocks your serotonin for two weeks and then it basically rocket launches into your additional serotonin that's produced from it. It was too late. So I was spiraling. So in those two weeks, while I was spiraling, whilst I was on citalopram, I was having even more intense suicidal ideations. So if I was driving, I'd be like, I'd feel so much better if that car or that truck hit me. Or once I got out of the car and a car nearly hit me and I was just like, oh, other people would have been traumatized, not me. I was like, well, that would have been a relief. You know, I was having really intrusive thoughts of wanting to die, but I carried on persevering because I was just like, no, they said it takes two weeks. Come on, you can do it, you can do it. Mind you, I'm holding down a job at the same time, Freddie. I'm still at work. I'm still teaching, I'm still being a sister, I'm still contributing to society, doing all the things that I'm doing, whilst I'm having to contend with these intense fluctuations of my hormones and my mental health, enormously compromised. So when it got to that point where I couldn't take it anymore, it was a lot more closer to when I was about to come on my period, I was in a trance. I was in my bedroom with the lights off for about two days. Now, my family thought, OK, she's probably just going through one of her phases, where she just wants her own space. But it'd been about 48 hours. I was sat in the dark and I didn't leave. And my friends were trying to call me and I wasn't responding. I think I was just trying to keep a brave face, to be honest. At that point, I don't know what I was going through. All I know is I was in a trance and I couldn't get out. But that night, it was safe to say that I basically started taking an overdose because I couldn't take it anymore. And it wasn't me. It was genuinely not me. I'm not that person who's just like, oh, I can't take life anymore. Like, that's the end of it. I just didn't want to feel the disassociation, not being able to recognize who I am as a person, the feelings of despair, just complete abyss. I didn't know who I was. I was a completely different person. And I just wanted that to end. I just wanted Mm -hmm. that to stop. It wasn't a cry for help. It wasn't something that I, you know, I wanted attention. None of those things. And all I did that night was just start taking my tablets and it reached about 15 minutes and I could feel I was going a bit woozy and it was about midnight and I realised, I was like, hold on a minute, I was losing control where I felt like I was drifting. I snapped, I literally snapped and where you have weight loss surgery, you're really good at throwing up, not because of bulimia, it's just anything that doesn't suit your stomach, it just comes out, right? Right. So I was queen at throwing up. So I literally, something just told me, get up and go and throw up. And which I did. I projectile vomited for about 20 minutes, getting it all out of my system while I'm sobbing uncontrollably. No one can hear me. My family are all asleep. So I'm doing it so discreetly that no one has any idea what's going on. I've run downstairs to my sister and my brother-in-law and I was shaking. I literally said, please don't leave me alone because i don't trust myself i've just tried to take an overdose please don't leave me and they were like in shock utter shock and this is the same sister who also has pmdd Mm. so she literally just held me the whole night where i just sobbed myself to sleep because i just didn't know what the hell was going on i managed to text sandy at about two, three o'clock in the morning saying, uh, hi, Sandy, yeah, I'm really sorry about this, but I kind of took an overdose, but I'm okay. But I kind of won't make it for corporate induction in the morning. So I feel like someone needs to cover. You know, that's what I'm like. And that was it. And I conked out. I can't remember. So the following morning, I was still in a trance, didn't understand what the hell was going on. But I still wasn't still being that honest. Because mm. I feel like my family still weren't sure of what was going on. They were like, okay, so did that really happen? Maybe they're in denial. Maybe they were still processing what the hell had just happened. And literally three or four hours later, I started my period.
0: It sounds like your mind saved you in some respect when it was mm. telling you to go and throw up. But just going back to what you said about kind of getting through it, what got you through this period? Do you think?
1: Do you know what it was? I, I, I actually don't know if I'm honest, it was such a blur, but, the immediate it was my family and friends so one of my closest childhood friends is actually a psychiatrist so i messaged her saying this is what i've done and she's known me since i was 12 and she was like get on the phone to the crisis team and i was just like okay it wasn't the case of there's no deliberation there's no resisting because i'd hit rock bottom so for me to reach to that position at that point i felt like well what else is there like what else can i do my family were trying to be supportive but i don't feel like they knew how cuz the thing is we're not the most emotionally um i wouldn't say we're not we're not emotionally unavailable we're not very what's the word Emotional
0: when, intelligence or just emotional awareness or something no, like we're that?
1: No, um, we're not massive huggers. Think, yeah, emotive
0: know? people, emotive yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
1: you know, I don't hug my mum and my mum never hugged me kind of thing, you know. But even then, like, at that point, no one knew what to navigate. It was just a bit weird. Like, what do mm. we do? Like, what, what on earth are we doing? Sandy was speaking to my sister regularly to find out, like, where I'm at, how am I, what's going on? She was trying to make referrals through bart's health counseling services and all of that mm-hmm. i got through to Crisis team um my sister and my brother in i were really trying to support me the whole time they wouldn't leave me alone i was on suicide watch basically for about a week even though i started my period but it takes a few days for you to come around to be feeling normal again so at that point it must have taken about three days and sandy actually said to me when she called me she was like yeah you're sounding a lot better like y- yourself so she said look come back when you're ready and we had a team away day at West Ham and I said to her, like, I wanna come in, like I wanna feel normal. She was like, Look, if you're ready, then by all means, but there's no pressure for you to come in. I've made all the referrals that I need to make for you for occupational health, et cetera. But you know, it is what it is, like, let's see let's let's play by ear. When I spoke to the crisis team, they were literally Googling it while I was on the phone to them. They were like, You have what? PMDD. And I can hear them typing on the keyboard saying, okay, so it's like PMS. And I was like, no, it's not like PMS. I've just told you I tried to kill myself. Who with PMS tries to kill themselves? So they were really confused. They were like, so have you spoken to your gynecologist? Yeah, I have spoken to my gynecologist. They told me to go back to primary care. And they were like, so what did your GP say? I said, I'm on antidepressants. Okay, so what do you want? I was like... I repeated myself at that time, 17 times. I I actually counted 17 times. I spoke to three different mental health nurses who were trying to assess me to be able to understand how to help me. None of them knew what to do.
0: Going through all that that you did, Annika, before we move on to positives, what Mm -hmm. did it teach you about yourself, do you think?
1: Resilience. I'm far more resilient than I could ever imagine. I didn't realise I was as strong as I am to continuously be absolutely abused by my hormones and i'm still being abused by them i nearly had another nervous breakdown in february which was what not even six seven weeks ago Mm -hmm. it happened all over again so it also taught me that why on earth am i having to go through this on my own why am i having to explain to clinicians medical professionals nurses about this condition. I get it. Not everyone knows about every condition, Mm -hmm. but what I came to the conclusion is that nobody gives a shit about female health. That's what I came to the conclusion of because hormones are invisible and it's an invisible condition, right? It's actually a disability. We fall under the 2010 equalities act. Actually, it is a disability. Now, Mm. after I got off the phone from the crisis team frustrated as hell I vowed I was like you know what I'm not gonna let someone else feel this way like I can't have someone feel as alone as I did to the point where I took an overdose so I started my Instagram and sharing my journey really openly, really candidly called Hormones and Heartache, because Lord, that's all my hormones have ever caused me, absolute heartache from the age of 13, and started sharing my journey. So what essentially I wanted to do was normalise taking antidepressants and removing the stigma surrounding mental health that comes with our cyclical and hormonal fluctuations. I didn't want anyone to feel like they can't talk to someone about it and for it to be too late because it could have been too late for me. It could mm. have, but it wasn't. But that's because I have a bit more, you know, I'm a bit more resilient. I've got a bit of strength in me that will pull me out eventually But why did I have to get to that point in the first place? If my gynecologist was educated enough to know where to signpost me with treatment guidelines and was a bit more reassuring to say, like, look, it's okay. I get that mental health isn't really their remit. But if someone is telling you that it's compromised their mental health to the point they're suicidal, you would have thought they would have had an ounce of compassion. And I've never received compassion from any gynecologist, male or female. It does not matter. They're just so fixated and they're so conditioned on the physical aspects of it, whether it be Mm. your ovaries, your uterus, et cetera. Like, you know, here's a pill, you know, but that's not going to fix my condition. Right. So it's the lack of education and awareness. So I started my journey with advocating and educating and raising awareness via Instagram. And I received such a warm welcome from the community with sharing my journey so I'm not ashamed to cry on there when I'm crying uncontrollably I'm not ashamed to say I'm sick of my own shit because that roller coaster is is there because the thing is I was still navigating PMDD regardless of me having a nervous breakdown so I changed from citalopram to sertraline from sertraline I was taking 50 milligrams daily and then in my luteal phase I would increase it to 75 milligrams to kind of support me through this process of navigating it because also I'm traumatized but yet there's no one who's been able to help me I've received no treatment no gynaecologist no mental health nurse no therapy nothing and no one I received zero help this is all self-diagnosed so I went to my GP told my GP what happened because obviously the crisis team do let your GP know that you've contacted them and I said there's a PMS and menopause clinic in Chelsea and Westminster the only clinic in the whole of London that treat PMDD And I went to them armed with evidence, which you need to have, which is at least a minimum of three months of a cycle tracking your symptoms that makes it very clear cut that, look, two weeks of the month, these are my symptoms and I'm absolutely fine. Two weeks of the month, I'm like this. There's a clear evidence there building up a case to show you that where the differences are of fluctuations of hormones. So when I did get referred to the clinic, they listened intently And said, we don't dispute that you don't have PMDD. You have an official diagnosis from us. And we're pleased to hear that you're able to advocate for yourself and understand that the treatment plan includes being on surgery, which you have. If at any point you feel like it is no longer working, please come back to us. Guess what? COVID hit. All clinics Mm. closed. Now, Mm. I was managing. So I got redeployed all our teaching takes got cancelled. So I started training frontline staff and vaccinators eventually. But whilst I was still navigating PMDD at the same time, so it was still a roller coaster, but I was kind of taking it a lot more slower, being a lot more self-aware. In actuality, my sharing my journey on Instagram was also helping me too with like healing because I was sharing that. It felt really cathartic And with the support Mm. I was receiving from like-minded women, it just felt like a sisterhood. And I feel like the cherry on the cake for me was when a woman actually reached out to me, maybe about two, three months into my sharing my journey and said, you're so funny. You make it so lighthearted and how you are able to make fun of yourself. But because you actually normalized it for me to be able to take antidepressants, this is the first month that I've not wanted to throw myself under a bus because I went to the GP and demanded, like you said, to be on Sertraline. I took evidence of me tracking my cycle. I took the National Association of Premenstrual Syndrome guidelines for PMDD. I have a four-year-old. This is the first time I've not wanted to throw myself under a bus. So I'd like to thank you for saving my life. I cried. I absolutely cried. I sobbed because I was just like, I just only wanted to help one person. But Mm. consistently over the past two years, I regularly receive messages and DMs from women who are explaining that actually my openness and being candid has actually validated how they're feeling. Because women are generally gaslighted or they are labelled crazy. Oh no, she's on her period. But actually it's so intense for us when we're going through it that we're not able to do it justice and actually articulate exactly what we're going through because we're being absolutely abused by our hormones it's not going to be fixed by chocolate it's not going to be fixed with a hot bath and it's not going to be fixed with a hug this is intense you can't fight hormones
0: clearly annika we've got a long way to go when it comes to the conversation around pmdd but given what you've said there about helping other women what has been your proudest achievement
1: Do you know what, there's a number of things, and I feel like I'm just getting started, to be entirely honest. I think my proudest moment was when I was asked to be keynote speaker at Sheffield University for a menstruation health conference, which was an absolute dream come true for me. From two years from having a nervous breakdown to be able to be a keynote speaker, talking about my experience with PMDD and living with a condition. I think it's basically supporting women. You know, that's my... uh, massive massive achievement where women are constantly dming me and my tagline is my dms are always open because i don't want another woman to feel like what i went through and that there is no help there is help they just need to be signposted so i think another thing that i'm really proud of is the fact that i've started a couple of projects here with bart's health we did start them off initially two years ago while covid hit but with the pressures it was just really difficult so i got in touch with dr Rahan khan who is an absolute superstar. And I'm eternally grateful for him because he always gives me his time. And he's basically made very clear to me that I am a patient expert because I know more about the condition, the guidelines, the symptoms than clinicians. I'm the one explaining to them how it works. So, you know, the thing is, patients are passive recipients of care and we don't challenge authority. So a lot of the times when we're being told that this is what you're going through, but it's not entirely true. It's not accurate. I'm like a fiery person anyway, so to catch me <laughs> on, <can> <laughs> to catch me on, on on in Hell Week, right? God help you, because I will actually openly say, "Well, that's actually offensive. That's not what I don't. I don't have that actually. So let me clarify actually what the condition is before you dictate to me what it is, because I'm the one suffering it." Not everyone mm. has that, not everyone has that spirit in them. So we're working on a couple of projects to start educating gynaecologists. In the trust, we're a teaching hospital, so it's a no brainer. I should be tapping into my resources that are on my doorstep. So that's one aspect of it. My dream is to have a clinic here for menstruation health. So anything related to PMDD, premenstrual disorders, etc. because there's only one clinic in London. And yep. then there's a private one. So recently I went to the private one myself for my next step for treatment because my sertraline stopped working. So that was in December. So between December and February, all my symptoms came back tenfold. And that was on my journey again started my path of having another nervous breakdown where I cried 33 days straight not that I was counting that's like Noah's Ark yeah up. I know right <laughs> uh, literally anyone would have thought like you know she's it's, it's gonna stop now she's gonna stop now um no I wasn't like I had to move back with my family I was crying 38 years old in bed with my mum sobbing mum I want to die mum I want to die and it wasn't only until like I realized that my vitamin D levels were really low which is common in this country, we don't have sun. But if you have really low vitamin D levels and you're not taking the supplements that you need to after your 30s, this is a a public service announcement. After 30, please take your supplements because it's so important as a woman as well. With my polycystic ovaries and my low vitamin D, I had a blood test and my GP was like, oh, that's really low. And I was like, okay, so what do I need? He was like, supplements. So I started taking that, but it all added up towards my journey of having another nervous breakdown so luckily enough as soon as I came on my period I was able to get an appointment at the hormone health clinic at Harley Street which is managed by Dr Nick Panay who is the leading expert on PMDD, PMS and menopause so although he oversees the clinic at Chelsea and Westminster I didn't have another four weeks in me or eight weeks in me or nine weeks in me to be able to be referred so I went privately and I saw one of his associates who have trained under him to start my next step of treatment which is HRT now for some who don't know what HRT is hormone replacement therapy and usually women who have entered menopause start HRT I've started mine now so that's the next port of call to manage PMDD because it gets worse like I hate to break it to everyone but PMDD doesn't get any better it gets worse We
0: could probably talk all day about this, Annika, but I've got one more question Mm -hmm. for you before we end. So what one thing, I guess, would you want listeners to take away from this podcast when it comes to your journey? And I guess as well, how can the men who are listening to this help the women in their life who might have PMS or might even have PMDD?
1: Listen to what we're saying. Look at the signs. If you can see that we're acting out of character more than usual, Don't judge us. Ask, are you okay? What's going on? I've started to notice a pattern because when we're going through it, we don't know we're going through it. So, what we need is support. And please don't be uncomfortable about asking us because the thing is, the second woman mentions period, oh, yeah, I don't want to know about that. No, no, that's not, you know, that's that's just too no. No, get used to it, right? Because someone's got a mum, auntie, sister. PMDD can come about at any time. I must stress that. It can happen from when you start your period. It can happen after birth. It can happen at any given time. It's not genetic. It just turns up. There's not enough research to determine where it comes from or how it happens. But it just happens. But when it does, don't brand us mad or hysterical because we already know those things. We know we're going through all of that. So we need support. And by support, that means understanding and being able to Make us feel comfortable to be open enough to say something's not quite right. So encourage them to write it down. Say things like, have you thought of tracking your cycle? I've heard that works. You know, you're able to pinpoint and determine exactly where and when these symptoms are coming about. Because as uh, sociologists like to call us maybe like 30 years ago, women are not, (laughs) we're not mad or bad. So it's just being emotionally intelligent enough to gauge what the hell is going on. Don't judge us. We're so conditioned in society to be judged upon. And I know there's a lot more dialogue about being open about our mental health, but we've got a triple whammy here. We've got emotional, mental and menstruation health going here. So we've got everything going against us. So people like me are having to take matters into our own hands to be able to educate and advocate, right? But it shouldn't be just us. It's a collective effort. So I would say, listen observe and be really compassionate and kind because that's the only thing that got me through and for the women please track your cycles take your supplements if you've got polycystic ovaries make sure you take your supplements Everyone is more than welcome to follow me on hormones and heartache because I'm constantly posting on there about supplements, about treatment plans, about my experience with HRT, signposting. If I don't know the answers, I always signpost people. I have an enormous network of professionals that I work with who support me and vice versa. So there is hope. So I don't want women to feel like there's no hope. There is in being able to navigate this condition with the right people. So therapy having a coach, having a mentor, having a therapist, you know, asking your friends and family, getting reasonable adjustments done at work. All of these things are all possible.
0: And on that note, Annika Wahid, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about your journey on treating you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of Treating You. We will include some links to where you can find out more about PMDD and Annika's story in the show notes. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on, share it on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're a journalist and would like to get in touch, please contact us at bartshealth.pressoffice at nhs.net or visit bartshealth.nhs.uk pressoffice for more information. Stay safe, look after yourselves and we'll be back soon to treat you another episode.